This evening's reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, which can be found on page 1217 of the Church Bibles. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a short little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, good evening, everyone. I'd like to add my own welcome uh, to you. It's lovely uh, to see you. If you're new or visiting or you missed last week, uh, then over the next six weeks, uh, we're going to be looking through a mini-series called uh, Making Sense of Life, which is pretty much based on this book. And so they're £2.50 down in the bookstall. I really, really, really recommend that uh, to you. So please go downstairs and, and uh, purchase one. And what we're doing is we're looking at different topics. Uh, last week, we looked at freedom. And this evening, we're looking at hope. And hope is something we can't live without. So whatever our belief system is this evening, we need to ask ourselves, does our belief system help me to understand my need for hope? And does it make sense of my experience of hope, if it's that important? No matter what we say, we only live for the moment. The future will always have an impact on how we feel in the present. For example, if I, if I know that tomorrow... I've got an exam, and maybe that's you, and I'm sorry that I brought that to mind now. Or if I'm going on holidays tomorrow, then this future reality will have an effect on my feelings in the present. Let me explain this further. Uh, imagine that there were uh, two women, uh, the same age, the same uh, educational background, with the same upbringing, and with the same temperament. Uh, they were both hired to do the same job. So they went to the factory, and they were put in identical rooms with identical lightning, with lighting, with identical temperature and identical circumstances, and they were asked to do the identical job. So everything is the same for these uh, two women, apart from the fact that one gets paid £2,000 a month, whilst the other gets paid £200,000 a month. About three weeks into the job, the women uh, sit together in the canteen, and the first woman says, I can't see me doing this job for, for long. It's so tedious and boring. And she asks the second woman, Don't you find this work boring? And the other woman says, oh no, it doesn't bother me. In fact, I whistle while I work. And so what's going on? Two women, identical circumstances, yet they're interpreting their identical circumstances in radically different ways. Why? Well, because their hopes of the future are totally different. We are irreducibly hope-based creatures And without knowing it, we live and experience our lives in the present, determined by what we believe is going to happen to us in the future. But what is hope? What is hope? Well, English language uh, isn't as precise as it could be on this concept. So we often 
uh, talk about hope meaning sort of optimism. So uh, next month, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping that Man United will win the FA Cup. Um, otherwise, I won't hear it from, uh, I won't hear the end of it from my Man City supporting daughter. And so there's no certainty of fulfillment. It's just, well, to be honest, a Man United support. It's just vain hope or wishful thinking. But the Greek word for hope in the Bible means a certain hope. It has a degree of certainty and expectation of fulfillment. Okay, let me just illustrate what I mean by this uh, so we can understand the difference. Over the next couple of months, there'll be a few couples in the church that will be getting married during the summer. And one of the privileges of being involved in the ceremony is seeing how everyone is reacting before the service. You often have you know, people laughing and, and chatting together, and then as we get closer and closer and closer uh, to the start time, the groom comes and he sits right in that chair with his best man right beside him. Now, at that moment, he is optimistically hoping she will turn up. And as uh, the time goes past the start time, the longer it gets, the less optimistic he gets. But as soon as I get the thumbs up from the usher right at the back, I go over to him and I say, she's you. And it's at that moment he goes from optimistic host to certain hope, and the colour comes back in his face. And so when we talk about hope, we're talking less about optimism and more about certainty. And sadly, as we look around the, the Western world around us, we can see that our society is becoming increasingly polarised. We observe environmental crises, we witness more conflict, and we experience empty promises. And all this has caused, in general, our society to lose hope. And we can see the effects of this in at least three different areas. Firstly, we see this in our popular culture. When I was growing up, that was Batman. It's ridiculous, isn't it? That's my superhero. But when we look at Batman today, the Dark Knight, we can see that there's a world of difference between them, isn't it? And actually, we see in our films an increasing trend to a more dystopian viewpoint, like the Hunger Games, when the world is heading towards disaster and destruction. Secondly, we can see that birth rates across the Western world are declining. A report by the BBC said, let me get them off. Uh, a report by the BBC um, said that nations like Spain and Japan are expected to see their populations halve by 2100. And of course, there'll be a number of factors involved, like economics, but one of the factors of birth rates um, is known to be a lack of hope for the future. And thirdly, we see this lack of hope in our society through the rise of anxiety, depression, and suicide rates rising. And Pete Harris, who's the head of UCCF for Wales, in a seminar he was doing for me, he said that our society is becoming progressively more hopeless and homeless. And this part in down to our culture tearing down the structures and frameworks of our society that we talk for granted, which has created that longing for hope as we've seen the decline in, in family structures, moral structures, authority structures, community structures, all of which have contributed to a deep sense of uprooted and anchored homelessness and hopelessness. And in his book, The Real American Dream, A Meditation of Hope, Andrew Del Banco says this, the heart of any culture is its hope. Hope is the way we overcome 
come the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. The reason for the feeling of hopelessness in the Western world, even in the midst of abundance, is the fact that death is coming. It's coming to us all, and in the end, we will have accomplished nothing. We are hope-based creatures. We can't live without hope. And so whatever belief system we have, they will need to make sense of the deep intuition of hope inside us and help us to know how we can get it. Well, this evening we're going to look at this topic of hope together, and there are two points that I want us to look at. They are, is there any hope? And a hope that really makes a difference. And so firstly, is there any hope? Now, one of the legacies of the Enlightenment period was the strong belief in Western culture that overall every generation of human being would experience a better world than the previous generation. Progressively believing that we not only don't need God anymore, but that humanity is God. We not only have a confident hope in a bright future, but we believe we have all the resources within ourselves to make it come about. And these thoughts have been a great aid in the flourishing of the Western world. And yet, over the past 20 years, hope has been waning. And a pessimism about the future has been deepening. There's several reasons for this, like the polarization and fragmentation of society, a profound loss of social trust that undermines all the institutions, a realization that threats to our future didn't just come from a lack of scientific and technological progress, but ironically, can be the result of them. And our polarization and our trust is widely acknowledged to be, to a great degree, fueled by social media. Hope seems so hard to find in our world, and yet we can't live without it. In fact, while we live in a society that seems to be so divided on many issues, the one thing that appears to unite us is our sense of fear and panic about what might happen tomorrow. The only variant is on what each of us are fearful of. The Christian author Richard Balcom, in his book, Hope Against Hope, says that everything we do is infused with hope. If you have a part of your personality or character you you don't like and you want to change it, then the exercise to change it is hope, as you picture yourself being someone else, someone you want to be. Politics is about hope. You see the world as it is and you don't want it to be that way anymore, and you have a conception of how it could be, then you move forward with hope. Everything he says in human life, communal and personal, is about hope. And so when we experience a loss of hope, then it shouldn't surprise us that we find it much harder to do life. We need hope to live. And over the pandemic, my inner geek rose up inside me, And I became a massive Marvel fan, uh, thanks to three months free subscription subscription to Disney+. And in the film, The End Games, we find all our heroes dealing with the fallout that they had failed to stop Thanos, this alien uh, baddie, wiping out half of the world's population. They are faced with the reality that hope is gone, and we witness how each one of them copes with the loss of hope. Now, up to this point, the Marvel heroes... Um, have all been pictured as people with hope, and yet hope has gone. Captain America has become a grief counsellor, helping everyone but himself to move on. 
Black Widow has become a workaholic. She's just pouring herself into work. Thor has gone down the road of substance abuse and addiction to video games, pure escapism. And the actor is Chris Hemsworth. And last week I mentioned the fact that my wife may have a a crush on him. Um, And so I thought I'd just put this picture up of him. Uh, Just because it makes me feel a bit better. And and I told Joe, that's what's going to happen to him when he turns 40. So... But perhaps sort of a tragic of all is Hawkeye as he loses his entire family and he becomes vengeful and a vigilante. And one of the key moments in the films comes when Black Widow catches up with Hawkeye and, he, and tells him that they may have found a way of undoing what Thanos has done. And he says to her, don't give me hope. And she says, I'm only sorry, I couldn't give it to you sooner. The film is doing a great job of highlighting the different avenues that we could go down when we've lost hope. We can go to counselling. We can pour ourselves into work. We can cope through escapism. We can become bitter and rageful. And our secular culture seems to struggle to help us cope with personal loss or in the face of death because it believes that there's no God in control, there is no afterlife, and that the material world is all that there is. C.S. Lewis in his brief essay called On Living in Atomic Age, said, if nature is all that exists, that is, if there is no God and no afterlife somewhere outside nature, then all of human civilization will eventually die with the death of the sun, and humanity will turn out to have been an accidental flicker, immeasurably short in relation to the oceans of dead time which proceed and follow it. And there will be no one even to remember it. If this material world is all that exists, ultimately all our loves and our accomplishes will come to nothing. And so again, is there any hope? We are hope-based creatures. We can't live without hope. So how does our, our secular culture deal with death? Because like all other cultures, it'll need to make sense to us, deep intuitions of hope inside us and to help us to know how we can get it. And one of the ways it deals with death is by saying to people that death really is just part of life. And a very well worked out secular example of this can be found uh, in the Disney film, The Lion King. I know last week I was talking about Frozen, this week I'm talking about um, Lion King. You can see that I got a couple of young kids. But you see at one point in the film, Simba asks his father about death. And his father replies to him, saying, when we die, our bodies become the grass. The antelope eats the grass, and we eat the antelope. We are all connected in the great circle of life. Death is just a part of the circle of life. Death is just natural. There's nothing to be afraid of. But the problem with this is that deep down in our human intuition, we know that death isn't natural. It's not only natural, but it's wrong. And it can be hard to suppress that part of our intuition and our heart. And some secularists say that death isn't anything to be afraid of. It's just a pleasing sleep. But the problem with that is, if someone involuntarily and violently renders you unconscious against your will, then that would be considered a crime. And so when death does that to us, it's not natural. It's a crime. Death is a thief. And the other problem of this concept 
of becoming part of the all soul or becoming a part of the organic cycle of life is that deep down, we don't want this. The thing that gives meaning to our lives, the thing that we are made for is love without parting. And death makes us part. It steals away our loved ones or us from our loved ones. And so again, we ask the question, is there any hope? Well, I think there is. And this brings me to our second and final point uh, tonight. I believe that there is hope that makes a difference. I suggest that the Christian faith is marked by neither pessimism, pessimistic despair, or unfounded optimism, but by a certain hope. In fact, I would want to convey that the Christian hope is not a kind of break glass in case of emergency virtue that we call upon when difficulties come along. But when in our reading we had read by Nathaniel earlier from 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, it says this, if you've got your Bibles open or if you've got a Bible around you, that'd be great. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and from the dead. In other words, this hope is alive. It's alive and not dead because Jesus isn't dead but alive. It isn't just a hope in the face of death and suffering, but it's a hope for life right now. A hope that makes a difference to you and a difference to the people around you. There are three things I'd like to suggest that makes Christianity makes Christianity's hope unique. First one is, Christian hope is restorative. Instead of the world coming to a destructive oblivion, the Christian faith believes that there is a God who has promised to guide history, not to an end, but to a new beginning, to a world in which death and evil are completely destroyed and justice and peace reign supreme. The biblical hope is that one day God will restore and transform this broken and hurting world and make all things new. Christian hope is not about escaping from this world, but it's about the transformation of this world. It isn't about the denial of darkness and death, but about the defeat of darkness and the destruction of death. Most religions say that when you die, you you go to heaven as a consolation for the life you lost. Christian hope isn't a consolation, but it's a restoration of not only the life you lost, but the life you actually never had, but always wanted to have. And this makes a huge difference to how we live our lives in the here and now. For example, let's take the 19th century African-American slaves who were Christians. Their future hope enabled them to live through things that they had to endure. They believed in the final judgment day that all wrongs would be made right and that they would again be united by loved ones who had been killed. One civil rights leader said this, the slaves' hope in judgment day and a new heavens and a new earth taught people how to ride high in life, to look squarely at the facts that argue so drastically against all hope and to use those Christian facts as raw material out of which fashioned hope that cruelty, cruelty could not crush. Now imagine sitting down with a 19th century slave and saying to them as a secularist, just so you know, there isn't going to be any judgment day in which wrong, wrongs will, wrongdoings will ever be put right. 
There's no future world in life where all your desires will be satisfied. But after you die, you simply cease to exist. Your only real hope is social reform. And so with the knowledge uh, of that, you just slap them on the back and you say, go out there, keep your head high and live a life of courage so that you don't give up to despair. The Christian hope of restoration provides one of the strongest possible motivations to have hope in the present and be actively involved in working for a better today. That even though at present our physical situation hasn't changed, the hope that one day they will be changed will dramatically affect our emotional state in the present. This is why Peter could say to the Christian exiles in Turkey that he's writing this letter to facing opposition for their faith. In verse 6, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven generous of your faith or greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. No other belief system gives you such hope for our world. Other religions may hold out hope for some spiritual paradise that doesn't involve this world. The secular worldview also lacks this level of motivation because everything in the end will perish and and any action today is like attempts to patch up an old car that is destined for the scrap heap. Christianity not only provides the the motive to want to make a positive difference in this world, but it matches up to what we intuitively feel is right. Our objection to this description of Christian hope could be that it all sounds too good to be true. And that brings us to our second point. Christian hope is certain. In the West, we're used to being sceptical about emails offering us thousands of pounds, aren't we? Or or deals that will change our life like the, the air dryer for our food or the ab cruncher 2000. And in the same way, It is easy for us to dismiss the amazing biblical vision of the future without looking into it. I mean, why can Peter, the writer of the passage we read, talk about such incredible, joy-giving, life-changing, world-altering hope with such certainty? Well, because we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Jesus' resurrection is the basis of Christian hope. Our hope for the future is rooted in the events of the past, in history. And Mike Lotz, in his book, Making Sense of Life, says this. The Big Bang is claimed to be a unique and unrepeated event, but is believed to have happened because we have extrapolated back to it from the evidence that we see in the universe today. In the same way, we need to examine the initial explosion of Jesus' resurrection from the dead that is still reverberating around the world today. We need to extrapolate and examine the historical evidence for the resurrection. And when we do, we will find that history points in the direction of it being true. If the idea of a deceased person rising from the dead is hard, too hard to believe, then it's worth realizing that if there is no God behind the universe, we have to believe that all life that exists originally came from non-life. And that ultimately everything that exists came from nothing at all. So it turns out that we all believe in miracles. The question is, is just which one? 
Jesus' resurrection isn't based on some psychological wish fulfillment, but it's based on solid evidence that we can examine. Christianity differs from other religions like Islam or Judaism because they say you get to heaven if you made a good life, which you can never live with assurance, with certainty for your future. But Christianity says to us, your salvation isn't based on your performance, but it's based on the performance of Jesus Christ, what he has done for you through his death and resurrection. And that when you embrace that through faith, you can have certainty. that You can have a living hope for the future. Verse 4 says that we've been saved into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith is shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. These verses help us to see that it isn't just this inheritance of salvation that is kept for the Christian, but the Christian is also being kept for it. There'll be little point in certainty of promising a glorious inheritance if there's only a slim chance of the believer arriving at that destination. But Peter here assures them then and us now that in light of the trials and the opposition, that God's power will shield us all the way to heaven and we ensure that we will make it. God has got you and he will never let go. So Christian hope is restorative. Christian hope is certain. And thirdly and finally, Christian hope is personal. Christian hope needs to be personally embraced. And the reason why God is delaying this restoration of the world is not because he doesn't care, but because he is patiently waiting. One day, God will transform this broken world and he'll get rid of anything that spoils it. But the reality is that if... God were to get rid of everything that spoils the world, he would, also, he, would, he would have to also get rid of us. Because in so many ways, we are part of the problem. We may not fight wars, but our words can create pain and conflict. We may not traffic people, but we can still choose to access websites that create such demand of a destructive industry. The truth is, That before God changes the world, he needs to change us. And wonderfully, because of Jesus, we can experience that transformation through his death. We can experience forgiveness. And through his resurrection, we can know his power at work in us, changing us within. And verse 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The Christian's hope and joy is found in Jesus Christ. It's not an abstract quality you pursue. It's not a set of beliefs of a way of living. It is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The risen Lord. It is a relationship with Jesus. He is the place of joy. And in his book, Hope in Times of Fear, Tim Keller records a testimony of this joy from a pastor called Jeremy Treat. He says this. Jeremy Treat visited Kaibira, uh, an extremely poor area of Nairobi, Kenya. He walked into it following a stream of open sewage that flowed right by shelters made of pieces of wood and dried mud. He saw many children playing in the mud right by the sewer with no clothes on. He went by a 12-year-old girl 
who his guide says is a prostitute. As he was feeling overwhelmed, he heard the sounds of his destination. And he finally, be, finally came to a building, little more than a shack, and inside there was a church service. About 70 people were singing at the top of their lungs, praising God in Swahili, arms raised in worship with tears and smiles and prayer and praise. What could have possibly given people living in that darkness such hope and even joy? Well, Treat wrote, In the impoverished slum, I knew that the kingdom had come. Not yet in the fullness of God's future promise, but it was there in the midst of the most horrific suffering and broken I've seen. He continues, God's reign was breaking in and transforming the lives of real people. These people had nothing, yet knew that in Christ they had everything. What I saw in that little shack was a glimpse of the same power that will one day renew all of creation. The hope of the future can have an extraordinary impact on our present circumstances. To date, I haven't seen Christ, but you know what? I love him. And even though I don't see him, I believe in him. And because of this, I have an inexpressible and glorious joy. But one day, I will see him face to face. And what a day that will be, as he looks upon me with his own eyes of delight and opens his heart all the way to open me. And I will know in that moment that everything I wanted, I wanted this. Every set of arms I've had thrown around me, everything I've longed for in my life, I will know at that moment I will be full. That bottomless pit of need of love and joy and hope will be totally satisfied. This is a living hope that makes a difference. This is a hope that restores. This is a hope that we can be certain of. You see, hopelessness comes from looking within. Hope comes from looking at him. So let's pray. Move us this evening, Lord, to to know, to take hold of and to treasure this hope that you have won for us. Thank you for revealing yourself as the God of hope, the one who tends our hope to abound, the one who promises our hope to be certain, and the one who provides eternal protection for our hope. As we look at the world around us and as we look inside us, it makes us grow more pessimistic of the future and our hope seems to, to seep away. But when we look at the living hope, that can be found in Jesus, our hearts and minds swell with a tremendous hope and joy inexpressible. That because Jesus defeated death and because he has provided a perfect ending for all those who believe, it energizes and motivates us to live with a certain hope, a restorative hope, a personal hope. We pray for those here this evening who are seeking answers. We pray that you would see, uh, that, this is, that, you would see that this is an offer of certain hope from Jesus It's a hope that they've been looking for. And help us to get alongside them and help them in their search for hope in this life and the next. And for those of us who have experienced this hope, help us to remember the infinite hopelessness that Jesus experienced on the cross so we may never experience it, but experience an eternal living hope, hope in all its fullness. 
Help us to rejoice in the certainty of it and be energized to live in it so others may see the true hope on offer from Jesus. And we ask all these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.